4: This is Bear Sheldon Neely and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
5: Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july our super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docs were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super Super damn important that we practice isolation. Cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to rely a Super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious. Awful
6: Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my uh, my guest this hour has a uh, new book, interesting uh, book. It's an uh, international legal thriller set in Japan, and it's called Bottled Lightning by L.M. Weeks, or uh, I guess we can say Mark, um, and he joins me by phone. Mark, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good
7: morning, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
6: Um, now, this is going to seem a little bit facetious, but um, with an international legal thriller set in Japan, does that mean there will be a lot of martial arts? <laughs> not
2: uh, really. Actually, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Of,
6: it just seems like everything I see set in or from Japan seems to, you know, have that component.
7: It's a it's a fair question, but but n- not really. Actually, uh, there's a lot of international intrigue, um, but uh, martial arts um, not so much.
6: What now? This I'm. I'm going to have to say, the the hero, uh, although fictional, has some things in common with you, like being a tech lawyer. Right. And, um, having been born in Alaska. Yes.
7: Yes, we do have that in common. Yes.
6: One of the things that uh, that surprised me a little bit, and I and I don't know why. I mean, now that I get into it, it seems to make perfect sense. But we talk about uh, issues of um, intellectual property and some of the some of the competition in terms of tech between the U.S. and and Asia, and it it never occurred to me to, to think that there are lawyers on the ground carrying out some of the work that that has to do with these uh, these various uh, challenges and competitions yeah that
7: that that's right and there are lots of lawyers in Japan um, China and elsewhere in Asia who have been working on these intellectual property issues for for decades actually and in my practice I, I myself have seen a fair amount of um uh, patent infringement as well as trade secret misappropriation and in fact i got uh, the idea for the story or at least part of the story from one of the active matters i had many years ago involving uh, trade secret misappropriation uh interestingly enough um by a chinese company from a japanese company but the theft occurred in actually a uh another country um, outside of Japan and China, which was really sort of a cloak-and-dagger kind of uh, matter. And uh, that that gave me uh, the idea, at least for the intellectual property component of the book.
6: Was it um, a pretty obvious choice um, or, or development to come from Alaska and then end up as a managing partner in a law office in Tokyo?
7: No, um I, I'm not sure how that happened actually. Uh I mean I understand <laughs> <laughs> I understand the route I took, but but no, there's no direct line um uh, between the two. My I just father
6: wondered if the two if it was you know, closer to go to Tokyo than it would be to go to New York or something.
7: Well it's very it's very interesting you should say that because uh the first time I flew to Japan uh the in, as an exchange student in 1978, uh, we actually flew on Pan Am through Anchorage. Um, after that, all of my flights uh, were direct. But a- actually, after law during law school and after law school, I found myself practicing in New York for about 18 years. So I was actually uh, there for many years as well. Is
6: is a big city? A big city. Or is there really a big difference when you're in Tokyo versus New York?
7: Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, there are huge differences. I mean, there are similarities as well, but huge cultural differences. Um, Japan uh, in general and Tokyo, Tokyo is also, because it is a big city, it's a big crowded city, people could be relatively aggressive, but they're more uh, passive-aggressive than they are New York aggressive-aggressive. And I'll give you a classic example. So in New York, when the when the light turns green, anybody who's trying to turn uh, left will try to jump in front of the people who are going straight before they uh, come across the intersection. In Japan, it's just the opposite. You have people sliding through the yellow and red light, you know, after it starts to turn uh, yellow and red. So they wait for the, the line going straight to cross and then they try to sneak through.
6: Interesting. I, another thing I thought was interesting, someone told me recently that that in Japan, constitutionally, the Japanese government can't close down a business like we've seen here in the States over public health issues like the, the quarantines um, coming from the, the pandemic, um, that when health officials tell people, there's a health concern. People just automatically will close up shop and and wear masks and do those things. But the government doesn't have the authority to compel them to.
7: Well, I don't know about the uh, whether the legal right I- exists uh, for the government to do that or 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 not. I would actually be surprised if that were true. But culturally, it's it's very challenging. Um, the other part of your statement, I think, is absolutely correct. Once people are, it, it, a suggestion is made that perhaps they want to shut down because of a health issue, they tend to do it because they don't, because of the reputa- reputational risk. And uh, there's a lot of regulation in Japan that's done by cajoling and suggesting, and they're called voluntary restrictions uh and and people tend to go along with that it's sort of a uh a social norm because there's a lot of shame in japan people are shamed into doing things more than actually being required to do things i think in in u.s in the u.s the culture is very different because people come from all over the world and so shame doesn't work to quite the same extent and that's why you need to legally require people to do things because if you if you can't legally require them to do something uh, they may not do it just because you suggest they
6: do it. More with author L.M. Weeks straight ahead. Hello, darling.
2: This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark with Tom Sumner.
8: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
6: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author LM Weeks straight ahead. Where are you now? Are you still um, in and out of Japan a lot? or, or- I am.
7: I, I spend a lot of time um, in Japan still, uh, but I also... I'm actually right now in the Florida Keys uh, tarpon fishing, Um, and then I spend a fair amount of time in uh, Idaho as well, where I was raised.
6: You were raised in Idaho. I thought you were, oh, you were born in Alaska, maybe?
7: (laughs) Correct. I was born in Anchorage because my father was in the military there. He was a lawyer in the Judge Advocate General's office there. Um, But after he was discharged, um, he moved back to the Boise area in Idaho when I was one year old.
6: Okay. All right. See, I got the impression you started your law practice from Alaska, and that's no,
7: no. I started it in New York, actually. That's
6: that's why I thought there might have been, you know, some uh, geographical connection to saying, "Well, I'll just I'll go to Tokyo."
7: Well, the main character's mother is actually a lawyer in Alaska um so that might give people the impression that uh, I practiced law there as well
6: and and how much of this when you say an international legal thriller um what's the part that that makes it thrilling is it <laughs> I mean is it like a spy thing are there life and death consequences or is this a case of uh, you know win or lose
7: it's all of the above i i think the classic definition of a legal thriller is uh it involves a trial typically uh there's not a trial um in this book although there are many legal issues including the intellectual property issues that you you mentioned um, there's also some cross-border legal issues and some criminal law uh, issues as well. But the, 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 the crux of the story is that the lawyer, Torn, has a client, Saya, and she's invented this new revolutionary sort of bleeding-edge energy technology that's going to replace all other sources of energy. And some entrenched forces want to, to make sure that doesn't happen, And so you've got two technology nerds, basically, because the lawyer also has a science background, who are now being threatened, and their families are being threatened. Uh, And the the technology is being threatened by somebody, but they don't know who it is. And uh, that's where the thriller part comes in, because it forces them to do things that they otherwise wouldn't be doing.
6: This is interesting, because a lot of people are looking for alternatives to the way we get our energy now. There are some alternatives already in the works obviously, you know, wind and solar and hydro and and nuclear and things that, you know, are being talked about and and argued about. But the idea that something new that would replace it all is pretty compelling.
7: Well, I thought it was an interesting idea because all of our existing energy sources have issues, right? So obviously fossil fuels have issues. You've got pollution. You've got greenhouse gas issues. Um, and, and supply, they,
6: potentially. And
7: su- okay. <laughs> supply issues. And Right, because um, it creates geopolitical issues when you've got Russia invading Ukraine, and they're one of the biggest oil producers, for example. So you've got that. Then nuclear, obviously you've got nuclear waste issues, which I think are probably the biggest issue when it comes to nuclear power, but also general fear by people, even if it may be uh, irrational, there's a general fear of nuclear power because of the connection to nuclear weapons. And also, I think it goes way back in time, um, starting with um, that movie, The China Syndrome. Um, and then, of course, um, the Three Mile Island uh, accident, uh, Chernobyl and later Fukushima,
6: um, so you well, know, I'll tell you. You know, you mentioned China Syndrome and Three Mile Island, and China Syndrome was practically a script for the Three Mile Island accident.
7: Right, right. I. Re- Although I, luckily, the result was was not the same.
6: <laughs> I remember uh, news um, <clears throat> broadcasters playing clips from the movie to demonstrate the things they were talking about. You know, in the control room and things that went wrong and all that, showing scenes from the movie.
7: Yeah, I remember that, too. And it scared everybody to death.
6: Yeah, it did.
7: Uh, So you've got that, and then you've got, uh, obviously, wind, solar, and other sources of renewable energy, and they're not as reliable as nuclear or fossil fuels. Um, They've got their own issues um, when it comes to uh, uh, pollution and, and also not being recyclable and 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 wind power kills birds for example uh particularly larger birds and solar power can end up uh, destroying you know thousands of acres in a desert for example and and the death of all the animals in the area so it's got its own issues um so i thought well if somebody could come up with a new form of energy that's scalable so for example you could have your own unit in your house or you could scale it all the way up to uh utility-sized power plant um and it doesn't create greenhouse gases and is not dangerous or perceived to be as dangerous as nuclear power um that that, that would be a game changer but if you're going to if you come up with a game changer like that there's lots of entrenched forces entrenched forces including governments you know entire countries huge corporations who all have something to lose uh if that kind of technology um is commercialized
6: Well, and and we've seen that kind of pushback, you know, in technologies before in various developments. Uh, You know, we've seen it in the automotive industry in the early days. There were engines that, um, you know, people were experimenting with that didn't use uh, gas and oil.
7: Right. Yeah. No, I I think there's lots of technologies that have been suppressed over the years in favor of something that's not as good
6: now that raises uh you know the million dollar question and that is is this technology in your novel is this made up or imagined um you know is it is it inspired by star trek like so many modern technology things are um or i mean is 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 there real work being done in this area, or is this, uh, you know, just a, a complete imagination?
7: It's uh, it's made up, is the short answer. Um, the inspiration came because the inspiration came when I was actually lying in the bottom of a skiff in the Florida Everglades with lightning bolts from a, a thunderstorm that had overtaken us dropping all around us, and I thought, if we survive this. That could be something very interesting to, to to write to use as a source. the The research I understand that has gone on is how can you harness naturally generated uh, lightning and, <laughs> and in a Benjamin
6: Franklin moment. <laughs> yes, exactly,
7: exactly. And it's not really it's not really practical because you, there's not enough lightning generated in a, a an area where you could harness all of that energy. And so I thought, well what if you could generate it yourself and so i did some research on it and what i found was and of course i'm just an amateur what i found was that science is not completely clear on how lightning is generated they understand the theory but they they don't understand the exact mechanics and so the idea behind the uh, Saya, who's the inventor the idea behind her inventor invention is that she was able to figure out not only how it's actually generated but how to replicate it, and so it's in answer to your question, it's totally made up. But I've had many people ask me, "Is this real?" Because there's also an energy storage system component to her invention, and I made that all up too. I mean, it was based on loads of research, but it's all out of my imagination. And I do not know if anybody. I suspect nobody is doing research on whether you could actually generate your own lightning, uh, but maybe.
3: Well, very the thing is, when people, there
6: is, you know, when people come up with an idea like that, they f- try to figure out how to generate their own lightning, and they use the technology and the the raw materials and resources that we already have to generate the lightning. So we're not really using less of the old to create the new. Right. Yeah, you, well, you know exactly. what I mean by that? I mean we're using we're uh, using you know the old energy to make new energy and it seems sort of self-defeating.
7: Well, exactly. And it so it needs to generate more energy than is put into the process to generate the lightning, right? right. And right. it needs to be generated in a clean in a clean way. And her invention um does that. Uh whether you could actually do that, it'd be, be interesting if, if uh, someone were actually working on how to do that.
6: Mark, is this contemporary, or is it slightly in the future? It's
7: contemporary. Yeah, the only, the only part about it that's not really contemporary is there's no mention of COVID, because of when I started writing it, I started writing it in 2017, and so I didn't work in anything about the pandemic.
6: How much of this was, how much of the process of getting this book um, finished from a writing and editing standpoint and and published happened during, I don't know, quarantine or lockdown from the pandemic?
7: Well, uh, I, I was traveling at the time a lot back and forth between the U.S. and Japan. And so every time I went to Japan, I had to quarantine for 14 days. It's actually a very good question. And I wasn't really enthusiastic about being quarantined, but it gave me uh, an excuse um, or a reason to stay at home and, and focus on the writing and later on the editing. And so when I was getting comments back from my editor, um, it was relatively easy to turn them around quickly because I really had nothing else to do.
6: Say, I've talked to so many writers, and some of them very successful, that say they wish they'd used some of their quarantine time to be productive, but that they were, you know, sort of taken off guard and, and a little bit like a deer in the headlights when when the pandemic struck. And, and they they didn't spend the time working like they they might have.
7: Well, I think it would have gone crazy if I hadn't done, you know, focused on something. I had legal work to do, but... Um... You know, there's downtime in the evenings, for example, when I otherwise might be going out, um, or when I otherwise, you know, on weekends might be going, I love to fly fish, so I might be going uh, fishing or riding my motorcycle, and since I wasn't doing those things.
6: Is this your first novel? Yes, it is. Um, Do you have the bug now?
7: I do. I'm I'm completely, (laughs) it's really bad, Tom.
6: (laughs) Well, I, you know, I wondered sometimes, you know, when people start writing, I remember I interviewed David Baldacci
7: and oh, uh-huh. his He's first,
6: book seriously bad. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he started out as an attorney right? and his first bestseller, absolute power got made into a movie with Clint Eastwood and EG Marshall and Ed Harris and all these big stars in, uh. And I asked him, I said, so people return your calls, right? And he said, well, yeah. But <laughs> but I asked him, I said, so what do you like more, you know, lawyering or writing? And and he said, oh, writing by far. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you'll go through that transition, but is there a, another book coming down the pike? Yes, and, and it's a good question. I,
7: I had a have had a great a wonderful legal career. Um, I was a partner at uh, two different major law firms and I uh, practiced in Japan for many years and in New York for many years about the same amount of time in both cities actually and I ran our Tokyo office uh, for more than ten years and I really enjoyed practicing law but i'm sixty now and I have a whole bunch of stories that I would like to write and, and now I realize how much work it is to do them all justice. Uh, so I, I uh, feel like now I really want to focus on the writing um, in in the time I have left uh, you, to get these stories written.
6: Mark, do you think the stories um, will write themselves a little easier now that you've been through the process once?
7: Oh, another great question. I, I, I do. I certainly hope so. <laughs>
6: Well, that's the impression um, I get, because, um, you know, you've been working on this since 2017, and that's a long time to put into, you know, the telling of one story. When And, and a lot of writers are putting out a book a year, and in some right. cases, a couple books a year. And right. and so there, there has to be a streamlining that occurs as you become uh, more familiar with the process.
7: I, I, I think so. And I certainly hope so. The the book I'm working on now, I have a feel for how it's going to flow from beginning to end. I mean, I'm flexible. It doesn't have to end the way I'm expecting it to. But with uh, Bottled Lightning, I had an idea for a character and that was it. And then, and then I had to come up with an idea for a client. And then I had to go and I, I had an idea that I wanted there to be some bleeding edge technology involved. And I had to figure out in what industry was that going to be? Was it going to be in the pharmaceutical industry or in the energy industry or, 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 or what, in space industry. And so all the way along, I had these sort of walls that I ran into that I had or hurdles that I had to get over. Um, and, uh, and also I didn't know who all the characters were going to, were going to be. I had, didn't know who the antagonist was going to be. Um, and so, or the, how the relationships were going to unfold. The book I'm working on now, I, I feel like it, I have a much better, uh, feeling for all of those things um and also i had no idea how to cre- do creative writing which is very different from oh, legal yeah. writing, you know? <laughs> and uh completely different it, everything's the reverse in fact so um there was a big learning curve there and and my editors really as painful as the editing process can be they were a huge help um mark I, you know
6: it's interesting the the order in which things unfolded and I ask a lot of writers which you know which comes first the story and then you cast it with characters like a movie or do you come up with characters and then figure out what kinds of adventures these characters might go on or what kinds of things might happen to them and it sounds like you kind of started at least with this book more with the characters
7: yeah that's right absolutely right
6: now do you think you'll you'll use that approach every time or or do you think it will go back and forth depending on which project you're involved in
7: so the, the so uh, the the way bottled lightning i think it's going to be different for each one and so for example, the way bottled lightning ended, a lot of people are telling me that it's set up perfectly for a sequel, which i didn't expect wasn't planning to write a sequel. I, uh, some people say it should be a series because of the char- you could use the characters.
6: That's another I, thing I, was, I ask is if writers that do trilogies and series, if they get to the end of the first book and think, but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't, I didn't really think
7: of it that way. I have heard that from a business perspective in this industry that uh, that's a better way to go because then you when you sell subsequent books, you sell the earlier books. But to, back to your original question, the, the book I'm reading now, I have the story in mind, and I, I know the themes that I want to focus on and the sub-themes. And so I'm actually sort of doing the reverse in the sense that uh, now I'm in the process of populating it with characters, and I have to come up with those characters, even though I know what the characters are going to do through or the purpose of the story. So it's very different from Bottled Lightning, and then another thriller that's a contemporary novel. Another thriller that I'm working on. I also know the story, but I also know the characters. So it's it's kind of a mixture of Bottle Lightning and the the other one I'm working on. So I think each project is different. I've heard Stephen King um, sort of sits down and has a kernel of an idea and then builds everything around that. Um, yeah, somebody over- asked
6: him if he uh, if he wrote to a muse or to a schedule, and he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. Well,
7: you have to approach it by work, like work. There's no doubt about it.
6: And and what about you, Mark? Do you have an outline? Do the stories kind of tell themselves? Do you write to a schedule, or do you binge write?
7: I uh, I try to do um, when I when I if I have a day open I try to do a minimum of four hours which often turns into more. Well, I should say I sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give myself ten minutes and just focus <laughs> for ten minutes. And that 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 typically blows up into even if I'm tired, I'll say I've got to give myself ten minutes, and that typically blows into much more time. So I it gets over the initial inertia, um, and uh, so I, I I do try to. And I try to start writing at the at the same time um, every day. Although I don't uh, limit myself uh, to that. And and as far as outlining goes, I am more outlining the the second book. For example, I'm doing biographies of the different characters than I did of Bottle of Lightning. Although for the Bottle of Lightning characters, after I wrote much of the manuscript, I did turn I did do biographies for each of them to work focus more on their motivations um so i think i think it's this next book it's more of a sort of outlining and pantsing at the same time
6: well mark this this sounds like a really fun book and i can't wait to see uh what else you come up with? Um, the, the name of the book is uh, Bottled Lightning. It's an international legal thriller by L.M. Weeks, my, uh, my guest this hour. Mark, thank you so much for spending your time with, uh, with me and the listeners. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share?
7: I do. It's at lmweeks.com.
6: Well, that's easy. (laughs) I I like that one. It's not too complicated. Um, Mark, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work.
7: Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care.
6: Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Once again, that was uh, L.M. Weeks, author of Bottled Lightning. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Straight ahead.
1: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now too. And even now.
6: It's 2022 and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell.
5: East Village Magazine.
6: Flint
3: Institute of Music. Hello.
5: I'm Maestro Ricky Magazine. Flint Community
0: Schools.
3: MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. WH Wise Carver, The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair.
8: Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quiplet Technology.
3: My Community
6: College. It's Pure Mission. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner Program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters past, present, and future.
1: Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans,
6: and soon...
0: Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
4: I entered the service after I graduated high school because the dropouts already had the jobs. (laughs) And uh, I came out of the service and... Thank you. I came out of the service and I entered Temple University, 1960, physical education major. Oh, I hear you laughing. You know, a lot of a <laughs> lot, lot of people laugh at physical education. But, "Aha, ha! Phys ed, you're dumb. You know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I was pretty smart, and uh, I I got this girlfriend. I, I, I met this girl, very brilliant girl, I had uh, an IQ of about 300. Huh. Thousand, 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 300,000 IQ. Got a philosophy major, man. oh, she was fantastic. Used to walk around the house saying, Why is there air? And, and I used to look at it. Any phys ed major knows why there's air. There's air to blow up volleyballs, blow up basketballs. You guys called me dumb for crying out loud. Walking around asking why there's air. But anyway, that's the thing to do when you're a freshman. Get yourself a brilliant girl to take care of you. She used to dress up like me and take my exams and everything. It's really beautiful. I bought a 1942 Dodge for $75, my whole life savings from the service. And uh, I used to drive from her house. I lived in Philadelphia. I used to drive to Trenton, 40-mile drive and uh it was during the winter time and when i bought the car it had four four bolt headed tires so i went out and with the last couple of dollars i had i bought a snow tire and i put it on the right rear and about 75 sandbags you know for traction in case i get into some snow or ice or something you know just dig right in on that right side and the car would raise up on that one wheel (laughs) and I wrote Captain America on the side, because it was a beautiful car, man. It, used to, it wouldn't go over 50. You go 51, and said, hey, cut it out. It's the kind of car I had, man. Beautiful. And uh, I used to drive to her house, uh, get to her house around 4 in the afternoon, and her parents, uh, I think her parents wanted to get rid of her, because as soon as I get there, they go upstairs, yeah, you know, and take the dog with them, too, you know. They had one of these little dogs. They were very wealthy people. They had one of these little dogs in a house, about a 37,000-room house. And they had a dog was as big as my fist, you know, for protection. You know, I to, people are kooky, man. Now, in Greenwich Village, I used to live in Greenwich Village, a guy with a one-room apartment, and, and he had to use somebody else's bathroom, would have a dog that's as big as a Mack truck. You know, like the dog would command him, I must go. You know? and, and he had to take the dog out, man. He couldn't spank it, you know. He hit that dog, the dog would eat him alive, you know. Hey, listen, that's where I got, we got our Doberman from an old used master that they ate up. And these people with this big house, got this dog so small, you know, what, what protection is it? You put your leg through through the window, to, I know what it'll do, it'll pee all over the place. That's all do, man. You, you come into anybody's house and say, rah, one of those dogs, they all over everybody. Man. I guess maybe that's the safety device, right? You feel something, hey, somebody's in the house. My legs are, you know. ridiculous. Well, anyhow, I used to sit there, and uh, we would do about three minutes worth of homework, and then we would cuddle up and start gizzing. Oh, we would kiss for 12 hours, man. Just kiss everywhere, kiss on the sofa, move to the TV set, kiss up on the whatnot shelf, you know, uh, uh, underneath the refrigerator, all over the place, we're just kissing. You kiss so long until the inside of the mouth gets raw, you know, and your lips swell up, and you say, listen, I think we better cut it out, all right? Tell you what, first one heals, call, all right? So, I get in the old Captain America car, you know, and I'm driving. And the whole time we were kissing, it snowed and the hail fell and everything, and the roads just, the roads were frozen. So I'm driving, and very sleepy. And I get so sleepy that I go into a world of fantasy, you know. I'm really tired. I would like to sleep now in another hour and a half drive, and it's ridiculous. And, well, listen, you take a little nap if you want. Are you kidding? Well, look, uh, the road's going straight, and right now I got the car pointed straight. I don't see why I can't take a little nap right now. I better not do it. A leaf blew in front of the car. Oh, I've hit a cow. Oh, I'm driving. And I'll never forget it. I took it up to 50. I was living dangerously, you know. And uh, I went into a bad right skid. Whack! And as soon as I went into the skid, I tried to remember the safe driving manual, you know, to save your life. If you go into a skid, the safe driving manual says, if you go into a skid, turn in the direction of the skid, which doesn't make sense at all to me. Cause that's like, if a guy throws a left hook at you, you lean into it, you know. So <laughs> forget it. I'm turning left and hitting the brake. What? Well, I'm not going down the road, 50 miles an hour sideways, which is a beautiful sight by the way. You look out your front window and you see things going by like this, you know and if you want you just turn right around you don't have to steer just look out the side door and if you have an accident you can get out in a hurry man it can't hurt you. i love it like they build cars like that and i hit a tree <laughs> as soon as i hit the tree i remembered i'm in trouble because in my glove compartment i've got 10 old moving violation tickets which are like savings bonds the longer you keep them the greater they mature you know <laughs> And I figure, I owe the city about $2 million. I know they're going to throw me in jail for life. So I push the car away from the tree, and I try and move it, wah, 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 wah. and it won't move it at all because the A-frame has fallen out, see? Well, I didn't know what an A-frame was until I took it to a mechanic, and, you know, whoa, oh, your A-frame's falling out. Cost you a million dollars. And that's the labor, you know, that can kind of... So I'm trying to move. And I'm scared because the cops are going to catch me. i got to get out of here somehow. you know. Up comes this safety for all truck driver. Gets it out of the car. I didn't even ask him to help me. Starts to put 20 flares around the car. What the hell do you think? Is this Is my birthday or something? That... <laughs> Have you ever tried to blow out a flare? <laughs> now I'm sore on the outside and the inside. You know. <laughs> all right, now the beautiful thing are the cops. here, going can... to it out and they look at the thing and the motors in the front seat trees leaning on a 45 degree angle box all chewed out of it and uh, the tires are all flat and uh, 20 flares around the car and this guy says what happened i said well i was driving along and uh, this tree jumped right out of the forest and bit my car boy
6: Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In fact, it wraps wraps it up for the week, and we go into the holiday weekend. Coming up uh, Monday, we have our 4th uh, of July special featuring an encore with um, Alexander Jefferson, Lieutenant Colonel from the Tuskegee Airmen. One of the Red Tails passed away a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to have... Um, him tell his story in his words from an interview back in 2018 in the meantime be safe goodnight everybody program
0: is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area